This should be prime pasture, but instead the worst drought in 50 years in New South Wales has left it barren and parched. More than half of Queensland is in its sixth year of drought, and in New South Wales the situation is even more dire, with 99% of the state affected. The Bureau of Meteorology claims hot years like 2019, where the overall temperature was 1.5 degrees higher than average, are more likely to occur. The past year was the hottest since temperature records began in 1910. Farming has never been an easy occupation. The problems that make it difficult the world over are compounded in Australia by extreme weather patterns, which are getting even more extreme and even harder to predict thanks to global heating. Meteorologists are able to make reasonable predictions about future weather patterns, but again, it's getting harder, and the predictions aren't often good news for farmers. Emerging and existing technology is going to become more important as we continue burning the fossil fuels that spur on climate breakdown. How can computers help us better manage farms? I'm Caitlin McHugh. You're listening to Think Digital Futures. So when we talk about climate change, we're constantly thinking about changes in the global patterns. So the connectivity that weather is being driven by climate, right? So which is those longer-term seasonal effects. You can also have the weather that you experience in a very local area, so whether it's raining or sunny or what the temperature is, what the humidity in the air is, um, what the soil moisture is in the, in, in the ground and so forth. This is Dan Ramp, an associate professor in the School of Life Sciences at the University of Technology, Sydney. He's working with The Yield, an agriculture technology company that provides monitoring and analysis to farmers to help them improve their practices. The thing is, most of the products that we use when you look up, look up on your phone and you see what the weather um, forecast is going to be, those forecasts are generalised from weather stations that are distributed randomly well, across cities in the country. And what they will do is they'll use some formula to predict what, what the weather's going to be in your area. But it's very, very general. It's, it's only for certain kinds of um, conditions. But if you're a plant that's growing in the shade of something of a big tree that's changing the way the, the wind is affecting you, it's changing the way solar radiation is hitting you, then that makes a massive difference to the kind of experience you have of temperature. So the fine scale or microclimate uh, experiences that a particular plant has can be um, sensed using different kinds of um, technologies that we can put in situ into farms to get extremely accurate readings of what's going on. And that gives us a much better chance of telling farmers what's going on with their particular crops. Most farmers rely on macroclimate data to make decisions, using weather station information provided by the Bureau of Meteorology. Peter Ferguson is an oyster farmer in Pambula Lake, on the south coast of New South Wales. Food safety regulations around oysters mean that when rainfall runs off into the lake where the oysters are grown, harvesting has to stop until the water quality has been checked. Um, because we can't guarantee anything that comes down through the catchment, and the estuary, estuary system, 
um, as far as contaminants, the possibility of contaminants, etc. So we, we do monitor flows, we monitor a lot of things and if, um, you know, if, if, if there is a, a storm or so forth, um, we do close um, and, and then we go into a, a process of testing. Um, all, all estuaries in, in um, New South Wales do test on a regular basis to give us give um, the food authority a guarantee ourselves a guarantee that we are supplying the best um, product and the safest product to the market. The lack of specificity from weather station data can be a problem if the weather station farmers get their data from doesn't necessarily reflect the conditions on their farms. It's quite often you can have a storm event or a rainfall event um, and, and our closest rainfall gauge is in, in Marimbula, which is only you know, literally a few kilometres away, but um, what happens there can be dramatically different to what actually happens in our lake system or up up in the upper catchment of our lake system. So the, the rainfall and the, the rainfall trigger, we used to um, immediately close the, um, the lake for harvest um, according to a gauge that was some distance away um, where now we can monitor our salinity levels and we, we operate through through that which gives us a greater scope to remain open and gives us that flexibility to work within our um, within the, the, the quality um, window of our, our estuary water. This is where the yield comes in. They've installed a salinity sensor in Pambula Lake, which means Peter doesn't have to rely on rainfall data that doesn't necessarily apply to the farm. Instead, the salinity sensor detects when there's been a drop in salinity, meaning fresh water from rainfall has entered the lake. It saved him valuable harvesting time. We remain open probably about 20% longer than, than what we would have using a rainfall trigger. Um, it also gives us a, a really, using the rainfall trigger, there's a number of events that happen where we, we are closed for harvest, yet we know that there's been absolutely zero impact um, on on the catchment system. It may well be a, just a storm cell or something else. Um, we'll then close for you know a number of weeks or a week until we get the testing back to reopen. So once we close, we're, we're closed for a period of time. Um, and each, each event's a little bit different. The Yield Project is only one of the more recent digital tools to be introduced to oyster farming. Peter says the industry has a history of embracing new technology. Generally, technology um, within the oyster industry has, has certainly coming leaps and bounds. There's new apps on phones for tracking stock, weather apps, tidal charts, etc., have been fantastic to assist oyster farmers in their daily operations. There's been huge developments in farming techniques and different in infrastructure, which has allowed farmers to probably farm in a far more efficient and productive manner. Um, so technology is really changing the face of oyster farming at this point. Food Agility, the cooperative research project running the Oyster Farm project, is using technology across a range of agriculture to assist farmers. Another project, also in cooperation with the Yield, is improving harvests on berry and grape farms using sensors that collect data on areas as local as a single field. So we've been installing in situ technology into those farms and using that information coupled with satellite information and other information about weather 
at a more broader scale to kind of work out what's going on with those plants. So we take information about the way those plants are growing, the kinds of climate climate that they're experiencing at a very fine scale, and we can then sort of forecast what's going on with the growth of and, and the produce that's being produced in, in wine grapes and also in berries like strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, blackberries, etc. Darren Clark is the Chief Operations Officer at The Yield. The company gathers weather and harvest information using internet-enabled sensors in the fields, as well as historical data, and uses machine learning algorithms to analyse what farming practices lead to the most successful crops. Uh, farmers who use our system early on get a very short-term benefit around things like logistics. So knowing what the weather is going to be on their site helps them better plan their labour, uh, their machinery use. Um, they're um, very topical right now. They're, they're people coming in to do the picking. Uh, it optimises what I would call that short-term logistics. As they start to build up better data around the weather, particularly how the weather changes uh, at various locations on their farm, they can start to look at various farming you know, practices such as pruning, um, spraying, uh, uh, use, use of fertiliser, that type of thing to get the best yield. So they're starting to then understand the climatic conditions on their farm, which does change quite a lot. And then I think the third level of benefit really comes around starting to optimise some of their practices. So things like spray, when best to spray, when best not to spray, so they get the best effect this data is used to formulate rules for when to send farmers notifications. Because the sensors are internet-enabled, they can send these notifications in real time, allowing farmers to respond to the weather conditions as they occur. You know, an example for spray might be, you know, don't spray if the temperature is greater than 32 degrees and the wind is greater than 15 kilometres an hour, for example. Once they understand that's a rule, we can build that rule into our system and we can provide them notifications um, based on that rule, so that when they need to know to start or stop spraying. Darren says the yield technology can help farmers more reliably predict their harvests. So, yeah, yield prediction is obviously a very uh, challenging thing for most growers, you know, forecasting how much you're going to produce uh, at a period of time and the quality of that production and the timing when that's going to happen. Um, so our approach has really been you, you know, how do you maximise bring the two things together. So how do you bring the growing data, which they already have, so that, you know, most growers have a history of how much um, food was produced off a particular block or a particular farm. Um, we've got you know, kind of the weather uh, history as well. So how do we bring those two things together to maximise you know, the use of the farmer's data to help predict yield? Um, because I think by that you, you're making best use of the available resources and then through that we might get yield prediction accuracy up to, you know, pick a number, 90%. Knowing how much food they're likely to grow gives farmers a competitive advantage when it comes to negotiating with suppliers. Yeah, it's, it's all about supply and demand and timing. If they know six months out what they're going to do and they can commit to that, you know, they should be able to negotiate uh, a better price than if they were one or two weeks out, for example. And each, and each market is slightly different. But again, having the data to do it and, and, and you know, participate in the market with data uh, is, is better than without. 
There's also the obvious benefit of improving harvest through closely monitoring and responding to weather conditions. On berry farms, for example, rainfall and moisture affect when berries can be picked. Field sensors make it easier for farmers to direct their workers at harvest time. I mean, they're seeing short-term labour benefits um, straight away because it means, I'll give you an example, if you've got a number of um, pickers coming on site, we can tell uh, you know, the people are organising, the pickers are coming on site, which, uh, which block is ready to pick. Is there, is there any um, moisture on the fruit, so therefore don't start by picking that one until a bit later in the day? You know, that type of thing to allow them to do that planning. Um, so better use of labour on site. Farmers don't necessarily have to lay out whole fields worth of IoT devices to make use of the yields technology. In fact, Darren says they try to avoid installing technology for the sake of installing technology, using existing data before looking into whether IoT monitoring might be worthwhile. Um, and if we get it to 90%, for some farmers, they may think, well, that's good and that's all I ever need to do. Um, but for some growers, they say, no, we want to get it. We need to get it to 95% because that'll help me get a better price or, or whatever it may be. Then the farmer is better um, prepared to make decisions about, okay, what other technology perhaps do I need to invest in to take me from 90% to 95%. Um, whereas I think right now there's, you know, and, and, um, it's, it's a, such a fast growing field, you know, putting IoT into farming, automation into farming, all this other stuff that's going on. Um, it's very hard, I think, or very difficult to make those decisions um, in isolation. And, and you end up with a whole range of solutions on the farm and it never quite works. We're trying to stop that by saying, well, start with your own data, uh, get a very clear picture of what you've got and what you know and what you need, and then let's make incremental decisions above that to improve the, the solution, um, but based on data, based on a return on investment, not based on, hey, this kind of looks good and it's an interesting thing to do. While it can help farmers make decisions, like where to harvest first or when to apply herbicides or fertiliser, the aim of the yield isn't to entirely automate farming decisions, but to provide farmers with better information. I think that there's always going to be those experts on, on farm that are using the information that they've got at hand. I think what this kind of work does is provides them with another tool. So one of the really strong elements of this particular project is that we have very strong farmer engagement so that the, the yield is constantly talking with their clients and the farmers about what's going on and we present information in really digestible ways so that they can um, really understand and be a part of that process. So there's always going to be a role for, for them and the way in which their crops are managed. What we're doing is providing them with a much better information that's much more reliable and with much less error to, to ensure that they can get, get decisions right. Dan has a background in conservation. As well as his work with the Yield Project, he's the head of the Centre for Compassionate Conservation at UTS. He's cautious about the possible environmental benefits of this technology, but says there's potential for it to lead to more sustainable farming. So I guess you have to look at this holistically. These projects in and of themselves are not necessarily about saving space or utilising the environment better. What they do do, though, is give us the capacity to work with some of the other projects that we do in making sure that we balance the use of space and the use of resources. So 
if you're able to maximize the amount of water that you're using for irrigation, then you're potentially using less and that then saves water for the environment. And Darren says the possible efficiencies will hopefully lead to more sustainable outcomes. So things like um, spray and fertiliser. So uh, we're not saying don't use spray or fertiliser, but let's say let's make sure that when we do use it, it's, it's applied in the most ideal conditions available. So therefore you're, you're better, you're better utilising it um, and perhaps reducing the amount you may need over time or even you know, um, using more of it, but you're getting a better result for it. Um, so we see that type of benefit. Um, clearly water usage will be another one. So as we start to optimise water usage, uh, there could be potential um, uh, benefits there. But I think the big benefit comes really from our name, which is what we're calling the yield. Uh, I mean, if you can, uh, us working with growers, if they can maximise the potential yield from their current farming practice, rather than buying up new land or doing you know, doing other things like that, yeah, it's got to have an environmental impact here. You know? If we're maximising performance of current you know, growing um, versus expanding and taking out more land to achieve the same outcome, that's got to be a way, way better. And the information gained through monitoring and analysing crop data could help farmers better deal with the effects of global heating as Australia becomes increasingly inhospitable to farming. Well, I guess because because of climate change, there's a number of um, food products that we currently produce that uh, we've been doing in particular areas that aren't necessarily sustainable because they might be using finite resources, but they might also be using resources that are becoming more susceptible to climate change. So, for example, it might be that you're growing a particular variety of crop that is susceptible to variation. And if you can understand the way in which that variety responds to weather patterns and so forth, or whether there are different varieties that don't respond to, to weather as such, in that sensitive way, then adopting those that knowledge can help you ensure that you're constantly producing food and it's not so susceptible to fluctuations. Peter says that oyster farmers at least have sustainability at the front of their minds. We've got a really good proactive group of farmers here who all, all probably believe that or have an understanding or a, a, a passion towards our lake. Um, and we, we tend to view ourselves as stewards of the lake and that monitoring helps us then go to our local councils or, or whoever um, with a bit of push as far as developments or anything else. So all of the, all of the data that we are getting really is based around um, trying to keep our lake in a, in a pristine um, um, nature. He sees the potential for technology to take a bigger role in oyster farming and says other farmers do too. The research being done at Pambula hasn't concluded yet. He's expecting a lot of the results from the testing conducted over the past three years to come out this month. Where it goes from here isn't yet decided, but Peter's optimistic. Oh, look, I think that we're really privileged and we're thankful that, that we've got such a lovely working group of farmers here at Pambula that are behind... Um, yeah, the development of, of a new understanding of what's happening in our lake and, and the opportunity through um, the guys at New South Wales, uh, the Food Authority and, and UTS to come in and really put some, some good positive stuff together. 
um, we're really looking forward to getting those results and, and continuing on working um, in these new pathways to see what, what is there and, and um, how we can farm better. This podcast is made possible with the support of the University of Technology Sydney and 2SER Community Radio. This episode was made on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded.